and Lumos. Hello and welcome to all you wizards, witches, muggles and squibs out there and welcome to another edition of Potter Jewels, a Harry Potter podcast debating theories and ideas while trying to provide some light in the darkness. I am your host Tim and alongside me, as always, my co-host and brother, Martin. Hey. You can get in contact with the show in a number of ways. You can tweet at us on Twitter, because that's how you tweet at people, at Potterjules, that's P-O-T-T-E-R-D-U-E-L-S, or one word. You can email us at Potterjules at Hotmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Potterjules. Before we get on to today's jewel, which is the third jewel in a three-part series of jewels about underappreciated underrated and unsung characters in the Harry Potter franchise, we have the results of part one, which was the first debate. Who was the biggest unsung hero, Regulus Black or Aberforth Dumbledore? And with 67% of the vote, Aberforth wins. Interesting. Yeah, I'll be honest, I was surprised by that. And even though I argued for Aberforth, I did waver a bit when clicking to vote, but I think the people got it right. I think Aberforth was the most unsung hero. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I argued for Regulus, obviously, and I, I would still say that that's the, the case. However, I do take the point that you couldn't have... The, the story couldn't have been completed without Aberforth, whereas, you know, Regulus, potentially it could have been. So, you know, both very, um, very interesting and, and underrated characters. And interesting to see that people thought Aberthorpe uh, nicked it. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason I was wavering was less due to the fact that he was a more unsung character and more the fact that he was just a really interesting character that just fascinated me because Regulus does fascinate me. You know, I think there's a real story there about how he, at like age 17, 18, discovered a secret that Voldemort thought hidden forever. And one where a wizard like Dumbledore, with all his experience and talent, didn't discover for another couple of decades. So I do think that he, he you know, he is probably the more fascinating character out of the two. But ultimately, I think Aberforth was a greater unsung hero over the course of the books. Yeah, yeah, that was fair enough. And as always, our fan comment of the week is from McKill... 1995 on Reddit, uh, it was a Gryffindor, saying, Instinctively, I would have said Regulus, but it is true, his actions didn't help anyone. If anything, they made things more complicated for the trio. And I think that's what you touched on a minute ago, which is, if you took Regulus out of the story, the series gets completed and, you know, nothing really changes. If anything, they get it sorted a lot quicker. Whereas with Aberforth, if you took Aberforth away from the series, Harry and the trio die. So the books don't get completed. Uh, Mm. Yeah, and on more than one occasion as well. Hmm. So I do, I do think that is a is a fair point, and that's ultimately why I I didn't waver. I mean, this is the second debate I've won, and the results of the Moody versus Barty Crouch one is heading in my favour. I mean, how are you feeling about looking into the fifth jewel and not having won one yet? Well, you know, I am just interested in in what people's opinions are. You know, and to be honest, you know, it would. I'm not just saying this because I haven't won one yet. I think it's interesting to to see what people think. And I don't necessarily think there's a a right or wrong answer, 
with any of these. You know, if you look at Aberforth and Regulus, I think they're two fascinating characters. Personally, I edge towards Regulus, but I, I can certainly see why people would would think Aberforth. So, I mean, you say you don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, clearly the people disagree because they think <laughs> I've got the right answer every time. Well, it may be that that's the case. It may be, but um. Uh, no, it's it, I find it interesting to to see what people mm. see what people think. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; it would be nice to win one at some point. Yeah, yeah. You live in hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll be very interested to see what the people make of of this debate, which is uh, who is the most underappreciated character. So these are characters that do get a lot of love and a lot of you know fanfare, but maybe not quite as much as they deserve. So I think this is going to be a really interesting one because you can tackle some quite big characters that maybe didn't get, you know, the appreciation that they perhaps deserved, either from the characters themselves or from the fan base. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. I think, you know, past couple we focused on, not lesser characters, but certainly characters. More minor they, characters. Yeah, maybe, maybe they don't get quite as much time in the books as, as others and, uh this one we can focus on the ones that perhaps do but still don't quite get the credit that they that we think they might deserve yeah so just a disclaimer obviously um we will be discussing all seven books eight films and the cursed child and other related information on Pottermore, but not really going into fantastic beasts because the ink's still wet you know it the, the, the series isn't finished yet yeah absolutely so yeah, I will get us started this time, and I'm going to say Arthur Weasley. Interesting. Explain. Well, I, I, I'm going to tackle it from a number of angles. I mean, firstly, I think when you think of the Weasleys as a as a family, Arthur's usually lower down on the on the overall impact. I mean, obviously, the first one you think of is Ron, you think of Ginny, you think of Molly, you think of Fred and George. Arthur is a little bit more under the radar. And I think he played a vital, vital role throughout the six books that he was in. And also just the fact that, you know, even from like Harry's point of view, Arthur Weasley was always somebody that Harry could depend on, count on and knew that he had his best interests at heart. And I think that was critical for Harry, especially given how a lot more of his male role models like Dumbledore maybe had different, different motives for him whereas Arthur was always concerned about Harry's happiness but also his right to be informed and treated as an adult you know he argued down Molly and and Fudge about um letting Harry know about Sirius Black in Prisoner of Azkaban and, and then again two books later when Molly Weasley is desperately trying to shield Harry from any of the information. It was when Arthur Weasley spoke up. He was like, no, Harry deserves to know some information. So I think he always had Harry's best interests at heart, but also didn't want to treat him as a, a child. He treated him as a man. He treated him as, you know, an equal. And I mean, the man just wanted to know how a rubber duck and toaster functioned. And I mean, I don't think you can argue with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, not to sort of help your point, really, but I think you could argue the same at the start of the Deathly Hallows as well, where Molly's trying to dissuade them yeah, yeah. from leaving. Yeah. And, you know, I think Arthur's clearly aware. Um, yeah. But 
you know understands that it's something that they need to do and um, and it's not something that he's delighted about but it's something that he's willing to aid them with because he knows the importance of it yeah and i think that's probably the difference whereas molly's protective instincts kick in i think Mm. he you know maybe a little bit similar to dumbledore in the early books just wants to to help them knowing that they're going to to do it anyway yeah and i always found it a little bit odd and a little bit surprising to me that given arthur weasley's impact on harry and the lives of you know the 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 golden trio and and the rest of it it always surprised me a little bit that harry didn't include arthur's name in one of his sons possibly but you know, I, I think he's got, and also none of the Weasleys did, and that I, I, I thought that you know, given obviously Percy's daughter, he, he named Molly. Mm. Again, it just goes back to the thing I said at the start, which is Arthur Weasley's always like the the fifth or sixth, you know, in the pecking order, and I just think that's a little bit, a little bit disrespectful to the man. I would have said. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the naming, I think obviously Harry picks four very uh, prominent names. And Should have been Arthur Rubius Potter. I named you after the two people that actually gave a damn about me from start to finish. Wow, big, uh, big call that. Just saying. I mean, you know, I can entirely understand why Harry and Ginny picked the names that they did. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure that that's necessarily a, a slight against Arthur. I think it's just, uh, you know, that they had a lot of names to choose from. Yeah. I mean, I always do wonder how the Marauders would have reacted knowing that he named his son after Snivellus. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I think that had they known everything, they maybe could have understood it even if they didn't fully endorse it. Oh, <laughs> I definitely don't think uh, James or Sirius would have endorsed <laughs> endorsed uh, naming his son after Severus. No, no, I, I don't think so. But <laughs> but going back to uh, going back to Arthur, he was always a you know a source of just reassurance as well. You know, but he he was yeah. I mean, I think he you know he he trusted Harry a lot and allowed him perhaps a bit more freedom than than others would. You know, allowed him to to have that knowledge that you know he probably deserved to have rather than trying to protect him too much. Mm. And, you know, he he was better armed with the knowledge mm. than not having it. Yeah. And I think that the Wheezy children, Harry and Hermione, could always depend on him. Yes, yeah. You know, I I think he was fun as well. I mean, you look at Mm. the the Quidditch World Cup and he was as excited as any of them. Yeah. You know, and I think he was, um, he was a really good, um, dad to them and a, you know, really good father figure to Harry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously they did resolve it later on and all that, but you know, the fact that he was so disrespected by Percy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that, that was always one that really did kind of, um, stick in the throat a little bit mm. and I, I think as well you you see also the the other wees the children you know, leap to arthur's defense and i think that's mm. a lot about him as well yeah 
I mean, it would be interesting if instead of Percy, it had been Bill or Charlie or, you know, one of the ones that, you know, the rest of the Weasley siblings like respected and liked, you know, uh, because Percy, they didn't particularly, you know, they, they had their issues with him before Percy's betrayal. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that... I think ultimately, whoever, whichever Weasley child had turned against Arthur, I think they would have disowned. Yes. But I do think that it being Percy, it felt less of a betrayal and, you know, almost almost an expectation in terms of the fact that, you know, in The Goblet of Fire, Ron sort of foresaw Percy doing that in terms of, you know, when uh, Hermione said, you know, he would never turn his family into the Dementors. And Ron was like, well, I don't know, he's ambitious. Yeah, yeah but it wasn't, it wasn't a completely out-of-character response from Percy. It, it was an extreme response. I mean, it was, you know... Oh, yeah, far, it was extreme, far, but it wasn't... Far it was out- a surprise than if one of the other characters... Exactly, there. exactly. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, I, I happen to think that either way, that behaviour would have... Um, you know, I'm sure they would have leapt to... Mr. Weasley's defence as well, because whoever had said that, it would have been entirely unfair. I mean, maybe this is unfair on, on, on this character. The only ca- other character in the in the Weasley family where I'd be like, yeah, that's sort of plausible that could have reacted like that, arguably is Ron. Because you see how he is towards Harry in the Goblet of Fire and then again in Deathly Hallows. He always had that element of his personality in him, whereas you never saw that personality trait exhibited by Fred or George or Ginny or Bill or Charlie. Not that you see much of Bill or Charlie. I, I don't know about that. I think there's there's no way that Ron would have said any of those things. Uh, mm, but going into to play devil's advocate, going into Deathly Hallows, if I told you that Ron would storm off, leaving Harry and Hermione to hunt Horcruxes, you know, saying that you know it's lucky for you, your parents are nicely out of the way, and saying yeah, I thought you had a proper plan, and you know, all the things that Ron said in that argument, would you have said that that would have been out of character? Uh, I, I think the thing with Ron is that they were outbursts. Yeah. Whereas I think with, and you know, he immediately regretted his decision. You know, by the next day he'd regretted it. As soon as he walked away, he regretted it. Whereas Percy showed no remorse, and I think no. the things that Percy said had clearly been built up for a while as well. It wasn't mm. just a, you know, spur of the moment thing that you immediately regret. So I, you know, I, I don't think it's you can say that that Ron was anywhere near likely to have said those things no i mean in regards to in regards to percy i don't know if you've heard this particular theory i was uh, reading about a theory where someone speculated if percy had been placed under the imperious curse and that's why he flipped um i'm not sure about that i don't think that's the argument goes this halfway through the Goblet of Fire, around the time of the Eel Ball and when Barty Crouch Senior stopped coming into work. He had the Imperious Curse placed upon him. And, yeah, then when uh, when Voldemort came back, he was, you know, sticking his head in the sand and then continued to support... Thick Ness came in, he was still a junior assistant to the minister and all that sort of stuff. So it would be a useful person to have under your control. 
Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I don't agree with that theory. I don't think that's, yeah, I don't think that's what happened. Um, you know, I think there's a, a lot of resentment built up over the years with Percy and, you know, whatever feelings he had. And I think they, he just kind of lost that and, um, you know, had his, had his outburst. Mm. Yeah, I don't think there was a, uh, issue of him being under the imperious curse with that one yeah i mean the argument would have been is that the death eater that would have placed him under the imperious curse was in this theory peter pettigrew uh who had been percy's pet for so many years and knew him better than perhaps a lot of his colleagues and obviously you know uh any of the the other death eaters would have known him um, yeah, I'm, I'm and, not... and and then he died. Then when Pettigrew died, the curse was lifted, and that's when he said, you know, it was it's been coming on for a while. Well, it depends how long that while was, whether it was a year, two years, whatever, or whether it was one month since Pettigrew died. I'm just saying it's out there. It's out there in the Potter sphere of theories. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not denying the fact that he could have been mm. placed under the Imperial curse. I'm just saying I don't think that that's what happened personally. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think. The other thing is, is that you don't want this theory to sort of make excuses for Percy's behaviour. Well, exactly, and you know, I think he's, you know, he's got to take that responsibility. Like you said, that would be trying to excuse what he said, and I'm not sure mm. if that's right. No. You know, no. There's, there's lots of things that are said in the books that I'm sure various characters regret, but it doesn't mean that they were all under the Imperious curse when they said it. No, that is true. That is true. I, 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 I think where this theory does have some legs is just from the Pettigrew angle in terms of the, the connection he would have had with Percy. I think that's the only reason why certain people believe it because of that connection. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's fine, you know. People can. It's it's not a impossible theory. Uh, I think outside the outside of the Pettigrew thing, it doesn't really have much legs, in my opinion. But no, it's no. just that it's just that bit where it's like, Ooh. yeah. Because when I first when I first you know saw it, I was like, no, no, no. But then when you read it, it's like, no. But that is a you know that is a decent theory. Yeah, you know it it's thought through but i think if Mm. you start going down that road then there's a lot of things that people will be under the imperious curse for you know harry and lupin's argument or ron and harry and hermione's Mm. arguments you know all these kind of things that Mm. characters you know have outbursts and deeply regret it is you know it's part being human Uh, it doesn't all necessarily mean that they were imperious at the time um you know, they just take responsibility for it and, you know, try to make amends. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also think that, you know, going back to Arthur Weasley, one of the one of the biggest character points for him, in my eyes, was the fact that he accompanied Harry to his disciplinary hearing. Yes. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and he, and he, you know, it was all, he was like a father to him in that, you know, in that moment where, you know, he was... He took him in and was really, really agitated when uh, they changed the time and, you know. Well, he was. And I think, you know, if you particularly, you look at um, 
Dumbledore on that one who wasn't there for him mm. at least at this you know at the start of that occasion and how nervous Harry was and that you know it's actually Arthur that that you know looked after him on the morning and made sure he got to the ministry and you know even thinking about arriving you know how they arrived and how it would be perceived and everything so yeah yeah you know, I think that's um you know that's a very fair point yeah because because uh, not only was Dumbledore not there at the start but Dumbledore was, you know, avoiding Harry and, you know, he had his reasons for doing so. Yeah. But the fact that he was so distant from him throughout that year made Arthur's presence all the more important. And also due due to the fact that, you know, he said that Dumbledore said that Sirius couldn't accompany him. So that was already one father figure he couldn't have with him. Yeah. Dumbledore was being distant with him. So it was Arthur that stepped up to the plate, and I think that you know, you know, those sort of small, simple gestures are often are often overlooked. Yeah, well, I think as well if you look at how terrified Harry is when Arthur's bitten. Yeah, you know, mm. I mean, obviously, you know, he's hugely concerned for you know Ron and Ginny and Fred and George, and you know, you know, he's their he's their father. But but you look at that, and there's he's destroyed himself for that yeah because look at the end of the day i think harry does look to arthur as like a surrogate father like he looks to molly as a sort of surrogate mother yes absolutely yeah absolutely you know and they you know they spend a lot of time together and i think you know i think that's a you know that's a fair comment and i think also you know the fact that arthur survives that and that sort of you know that the bond between harry and the wheezy's just got strengthened even further yes yeah and then if you look at you know it's very when arthur wheezy as a character first gets introduced in in the chamber of secrets you know you you learn very very quickly what sort of character he is you know saying well firstly about function of a rubber duck that that sums up a lot about him as a character but also you know when they went into flourish and blots uh, and get in the argument with Malfoy, and he says, you know, we have a very different idea about what disgrace is the name of wizards, yeah. Malfoy. Yeah, ab- absolutely, yeah. And, you know, he's incredibly loyal to Dumbledore, um, mm-hmm. obviously puts himself in harm's way for the um, for the order. Um, and, you, you know, you can see how much Dumbledore values them, you know, him and Molly being a part of the the order as well. Yeah. I mean, I do think also that you look at how he didn't even really get upset or, I mean, you didn't even really hear from him in regards to the Harry and Ron flying the car to Hogwarts. No, I mean, obviously we heard about when uh, Fred and and George went to rescue Harry. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's a great introduction to the character of like, oh, did you really? How did it go? I mean, I mean, I mean, that was very wrong. Boy, it's very wrong indeed. Yeah, I mean, you can, you can certainly see <laughs> different reactions of the uh, the two parents there. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think their parenting styles may may clash occasionally. Yeah, occasionally, and um, you know, he's uh, you know he, he does provide that kind of comedy value as well. Mm. Yeah, like with the the stitches and. 
Yeah, and uh, when the Weasleys came to get Harry from Privet Drive in the Goblet of Fire, and you can hear Arthur Weasley in the in the fireplace. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Being very confused with the whole situation. He he is brilliant. He's great. He's great. He's great value. He is, and he, even though you know he says that he's uh, he's annoyed with Fred and George, he doesn't. He isn't annoyed enough to uh, no, let no. Molly get involved in that. No, definitely not. But the fact that, you know, Harry and Ron, by flying the Ford Anglia, it was a serious breach of the statute of secrecy. And he faced an inquiry where he was fined and the rest of it. The fact is, Arthur never mentioned anything about it. I mean, obviously, Ron gets a howler from, from Molly, but neither of them ever bring it up with Harry, and Arthur doesn't bring it up at all. I mean, I do think it helps that the next time Harry saw Arthur and Molly was when Harry had saved Ginny. Yes, yeah. I think, I think, I think that, I think that certainly uh, helped matters. But it, you know, it just always spoke to his overall character that, that he never really showed any sort of anger or, or resentment towards him for for causing so much problems for him in his professional life. No, definitely, you know, and I think that, like you said, there's a big difference in their parenting style and they kind of, you know, sometimes they balance each other out a bit. Mm. I mean, as a reader of the book and, you know, watcher of the films and, and the rest of it, I, as I've said, I've, I've always thought that Arthur Weasley has been very underrated over, over the years because when you think of the Weasley family, as I say, you think of Ron first, then you probably think... The twins, maybe? Uh, well, I think everyone's going to have their own opinion on this. But yeah, yeah uh, personally, I would, yeah. Then Ginny, then Molly Weasley. And Arthur, Arthur's probably like sixth on the list. And I just think that, you know, his overall impact and, you know, likability. But I just think Arthur's just such a, a needed character. Because, as I say, he is one of the, the, the few adult male role models that just sort of genuinely only cares about Harry's well-being and gets the balance right because people like Sirius and even Lupin to an extent would go maybe too far in one direction whereas he seems to get the balance pretty much right in terms of protecting Harry and making sure he's happy but also keeping him informed and on his guard. Yeah, I mean, I think he seems to be quite measured. There's a lot of the characters are quite highly strung or impulsive or emotional, you know, like you know, serious as you just mentioned. Um, and he's he, he takes time to to think, you know, before he says stuff. And I think he's quite a calming influence. Mm. You know, even um, when they're talking about the the row with Percy. The Weasleys themselves say that he very rarely gets angry. It's usually Mrs. Weasley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and also at the end of uh, The Order of the Phoenix, when Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, Hermione, um, Tonks, Mad-Eye, Lupin go over to the Dursleys, I think that very much came from Mr. Weasley. I mean, he sort of led the exchange to begin with. Hmm. Uh, and I think that just Jim, you know, I think uh, he was the one that said, you know, shall we do it? Yeah, I think I think it very much came from him. And I think looking out for not just Harry's safety and well-being, but just his happiness 
when he can't yep. be there personally for him, you know, to make sure that he's not being mistreated or, you know, neglected. Because, I mean, look, I mean, I think you, I mean, I think it's not just us as an audience, but I think any character that comes into contact with either, either come into contact with the Dursleys or just know what the Dursleys are and how they've treated Harry over the years, just dislikes them. But Arthur Weasley can sort of, again, like you say, he's very measured uh, and he knows the right approach. He knows how to talk to people. On Arthur being a father figure, it's curious that um, you look at the end of The Cursed Child where Harry is saying how you never had a father to know what a father was meant to be like. And, you know, most people have a father that they either want to aspire to be like or not to be like. And he's operating without wires because he didn't have that. And I thought that was always a little bit harsh on Arthur Weasley, as well as people like Hagrid and Lupin. Yeah, I mean, I, personally, I think what Harry's referring to there is the first 11 years. Um, yeah, that's true. Rather mm. than the Hogwarts years. I mean, obviously, uh, Uncle Vernon was such a yeah, terrible person, let alone, mm. alone role model. And I think that's probably what he was referring to mm. rather than... You know, it, but given the Albuses of Hogwarts age at the time, surely, you know. It's, it's true. But yeah. I think if you look at it, whilst the, the story is set when he's at Hogwarts, the majority of Albus's life have been spent mm. outside of Hogwarts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's probably where Harry was lacking somewhat in that, mm. you know, where he means that he didn't have that, that role model. Yeah. Um, it was for the pre, pre-Hogwarts pre Era. And even when he did get into Hogwarts, okay, Arthur, and there was other great role models, but then there were people like Dumbledore whose motives were a little bit more questionable. Uh, and like we said earlier about, you know, Sirius would sometimes be a bit of a bad influence. Um, although obviously he, he, he cared for Harry very deeply, as did Dumbledore, but, you know, they both had their own motives in a way. Yeah, I think as well the thing with Arthur is that, you know... Whilst he was a you know very positive role model for Harry, the time he spent with him because of the Hogwarts calendar mm. was limited. So, um, you know, the, I think again he's referring to that father figure being around. Yeah, yeah all year yeah, round. Yeah, rather than you know spending a part of the holidays with someone. Yeah, and obviously with Lupin, he didn't really see much of him. Exactly, and you know, Sirius, he didn't mm. really see a, a whole lot of either so you know i think that he's he's really referring to that constant reliable but then that is figure. a little bit harsh on hagrid because he was there all the time you know well, you know again you know that we're talking during hogwarts mm. um and you know he, he, because of the calendar because of you know uh, bringing grot back and you know things like this you know, he, he wasn't around as much as I'm sure he would have liked. No, especially in that been. fifth. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's taken to Azkaban in the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, again, I think it's that sort of, you know, figure that's there. Yeah, and again, while obviously Hagrid did do, you know, well, did care about Harry deeply, there were moments, again, where it was a, the responsibility comes into play with, like, him getting Harry to send Norbert off with Charlie, you know. Yeah, I mean, he got in, Harry got into massive trouble because of that. Well, well, he did, you know, and you know, um, follow the spiders mm. and looking after Grop and 
you know, these things. Again, it's maybe somewhat similar to to Sirius, Mm. that, um, you know, perhaps a bit more risk-taking. Yeah, a bit more reckless, less, you know, less responsible. Yeah, yeah, not through any, you know, bad intentions, but just, you know, maybe taking a few more risks than than others would. Mm. Mm. So yeah, that's my case for for Arthur being a, an underappreciated character. Yeah, very, I mean, very good case. Strong. I think he's an underappreciated Weasley, let alone an underappreciated character. So, which character would you pick? Well, I'm going to pick uh, Minerva McGonagall. Strong, strong choice. Yeah, I mean, firstly, to say that I know she is in the books a lot and has a very prominent role, but I do think she is undervalued and. The reason I would say that is a lot of the things I think she does are quietly heroic. And I refer mm. particularly to these seventh year at Hogwarts. Obviously, Dumbledore's just been killed. Hogwarts is taking over, but she stays in a place that I'm sure she absolutely detests what's happening there and the, mm. the values and ideals and beliefs that are being exhibited and promoted to the students but she stays to try and help the students as best she can. And as, you know, some of the other teachers do as well, not not just her, obviously. But I think that kind of, that alone gets forgotten about a little bit. And yeah. having to endure a year's worth, you know, particularly, um, you know, you can see some of that frustration in Ravenclaw Tower, Um you know, the, the people that she's having to deal with, with the Caros. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. For the good of the students. And I think that's a really undervalued act. Um, I mean, I would also say throughout the whole series that she is, uh, she's ever present. She's an incredibly stable character. Um, and she she's there for the school. You know, she's there for, for Dumbledore and, Actually, you know, you, you go back to the seventh book and she takes a huge part in, in laying out the battle plans um, and in and helping Harry. I think that she kind of does step up there as well, where Harry doesn't have Dumbledore or Sirius or, or anyone to really tell mm. him what to do. You know, she lays out the plans, tries to buy him the time he needs, tells him when he needs to be, you know, when he needs to be reminded to go and look for, for the Horcrux. Um, yeah, I mean, that was a bit of a dumb move on Harry's part. Oh, yeah, forgot. Sorry, my bad. Well, you know, she, she helps him as best she can. Mm, she focuses um, him. She, she does. And I think during that battle, um, you know, her role is, is quite undervalued. Um, and, you know, at various times throughout the series... She steps up. Obviously, she steps up to to be headmistress um, in the Chamber of Secrets, um, the Order of Phoenix. She plays a a big role in the the, you know, the uprising against Umbridge. Really, yeah. You know, eat from you know very quiet things like telling Peeves that it unscrews the other way yeah. to yeah. you know slightly more prominent things when she defends Harry and then says that um, she'll do whatever it takes to ensure he has the opportunity to become an aura. Um, she offers him a biscuit. 
<laughs> you know, I think she um, she tries to support him during the you know the Quidditch ban and and everything. So uh, you know, I think she she's there for the students of Hogwarts and you know, particularly Gryffindor students. And mm. you know, although she is you know firm and she's strict, she's one of the first people to to try and prevent injustices happening particularly when you you know you look at some of her interactions with with Umbridge and you know in some cases Snape as well um you know she she really is sort of quite quietly heroic I would say um and that's why I think she she's undervalued perhaps is that her actions aren't necessarily the dominant parts of of the stories and I think Mm. potentially she's a victim of her own success in a way where she is so stable and reliable that she's always there when needed. And because perhaps we expect that from her character, it doesn't quite get the recognition, you know, when some of the others um, undertake an act, which is slightly more out of their character, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, I think you don't notice what she does it's one of these where you know where somebody is so dependable you don't notice what she does until she's not there you know exactly, yeah yeah i mean you look at the the, the order of the phoenix um at first you know, the, i was gonna say the the line from order of the phoenix there was nobody left to tell dumbledore had gone hagrid had gone but you'd always expect professor mcgonagall to be there irascible and inflexible perhaps but always dependently solidly present absolutely i know uh, you know i do think that that kind of sums her up quite well and mm. also i would say you look at the the shock and concern of the students when she's hit by those stunning spells as well. Yeah. You know, you, you might not necessarily, I'm sure there'd be some teachers, uh, if they'd been hit with the stunning spells, that wouldn't have uh, prompted that reaction, that's for certain. Um, no, no. You know, that, that there is a genuine concern there, and I think that's testament to, to her character, that her students are, are so concerned about her, her welfare. Yeah. I think that's a very, very strong argument. And, you know, going back to what we were saying uh, last week during our Mother's Day special, she goes way above and beyond what you would normally expect somebody like her to do. I mean, like, not just fighting against leaving Harry, you know, at the Dursleys, but watching him throughout the, you know, next decade just to keep an eye on him and make sure he's safe. I mean, stuff like that just sums up the impact and the just sheer kind-heartedness of the character. It does, but, you know, again, I think that's that's things that we don't necessarily know about or mm. certainly not publicised as much. And, you know, I think that she, she doesn't do it for that reason, but I think sometimes stuff like that can go under the radar because of the fact that it isn't, sort of advertised as much as as other acts perhaps Mm. yeah and i often think about mcgonagall in that final battle and seeing people that she has taught dying before her i mean not just people the like the obvious ones in like colin creevy and fred weasley but even characters like lupin and tonk she taught them yeah 
and for them to have just been, you know, just having brought new life into the world, you know, and you can see right from the very, very first chapter of the Philosopher's Stone, you know, her reaction when Lily and James had died, you know, I, I, I think that there is an element of, of burden on, you know, from that and that she has outlived, you know, so many people that she cared about, but still does what, you know, is necessary to, to help the students and, you know, to, to continue. I, I think as well, you know, she's a character that experiences huge amounts of loss in her life. Um, yeah, yeah. And and a lot of that loss we don't even see in the books because, as you say, you know, she is so... Her losses don't define her as a character because she just gets on with it, you know. She's incredibly stoic. And I mm. think, you know, similar to Mr. Weasley that we were talking about, very measured, she's that kind of calming... Even keel. Yeah. Yeah, reliable character. I mean, I think that... One of the reasons why I would argue against the fact that she is underappreciated by fans anyway uh, is in large part due to the popularity of the character in the films. Yes. Because yeah. I, I think, I think you know, Maggie Smith was great casting and I think everyone just loved... She, she, brought, she brought the character to life and, you know... The, and there were, like, additional lines from the books, like, you know, why is it always you free and, you know... Um, when Harry's told her that he's allowed to do potions for N.E.W.T., she says, oh, and take Weasley along with you. He looks far too happy. <laughs> you know, there, there, there are little lines dropped in dropped in throughout, throughout the series in, in, in the films that kind of make you warm to her even more than well, in well, the book. There are, and I think, you know, there's that, you know, the famous one in part two of the Deathly Hallows where she summons the statues for the you know the final yeah. battle, yeah, and I, I think that's a, that's obviously quite an iconic moment within the films, and one that you know is, is perhaps maybe a, a grander act than um, she sometimes gets uh, you know credited for. And I think also with McGonagall, you, you you're looking at the fact that you know e- e- even in that bit in the films, you know that that line of you know I've always wanted to use that spell. You know, she she does have that likability in that, you know. Yes, she is, as, as you know, Harry described in the Order of the Phoenix, you know, irascible and inflexible sometimes, but she is a, a source of great likability as well. I mean, the there was so much... I think Order of the Phoenix, in a way, is one of her finest hours because she she does have so many likeable moments like you say about the peas line have a biscuit you know there were like loads of moments where you you warmed her even more than you perhaps did in books one through four and again in book the few other ones that spring to my mind when i'm thinking of mcgonagall is book two firstly when she takes harry and ron to see hermione after she'd been petrified yeah uh and then her reaction when they wanted to go and visit her or, you know, they were going to Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. But when they came up with the, you know, we, we wanted to go see Hermione, she was genuinely touched by that. And then again in uh, in Goblet of Fire, again, she was really concerned for Harry's safety going into Face the Dragon. She seemed, you know, really genuinely concerned. 
and again, that's another bit where the film adds a little bit of nuance and Maggie Smith adds a bit of nuance, you know, where Dumbledore is like, we've kind of got to let, let things go and see how they progress. Um, Minerva's like, he's a boy, not a piece of meat. You know, why, yeah. why, why can't you get him out of this? Yeah. I mean, I, I always look at that, the Goblet of Fire task, as they would have rather let Harry face a dragon than have him not compete. So, so to me, that says it must be similar sort of magic that is used in the Unbreakable Vow. You know, once you enter into a, a magically binding contract, if you don't uphold your end of the contract you risk you know severe injury or death you know so i think that it plays into why dumbledore had to allow harry to compete because i think the alternative would have been he gets killed well i mean th- i think certainly at the you know when dumbledore's explaining about what the the tournament is you know he does go to to great lengths to try and to try and make that clear Mm. Yeah, he obviously does have his reasons. And if you go back to look at the Philosopher's Stone, and um, Percy says, you know, he, Dumbledore usually has his reasons if we're not allowed to do something. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that probably is the case. You know, because you know, I think if Dumbledore obviously knew how much danger Harry would would be in, I think if he could have found a way um, for him not to compete, then he he would have taken that option. Hmm. What is your favourite McGonagall book? Oh, that's a really good question. I think probably The Order of the Phoenix, just because she really does look out for the students there. You know, Dumbledore trusts mm-hmm. her to, to look after the students whilst he's gone. The way she defends Harry um, in front of Umbridge to ensure that he'll, you know, if he wants to become an Ori, he'll have that opportunity. You know, I think that's a really, she's a really, really strong character in that book. Yeah, I would say, I would say for me, it's either that one or the Deathly Hallows, because although she appears in it very, very late on, she, she, you, you see a side of her you, you very rarely see. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, her reaction when she thinks that Harry's died. Yeah. You know, says so much about the character, and as I say, you know, the fact that she as a character suffered through so much loss in her life that never even got mentioned in the books. It's only because JK released uh, the writings on Pottermore and in the, the eBooks that we know about it, you know, about her, uh, you know, the, the, the love of her life being murdered by two death eaters and uh, her husband getting killed. I mean, most people wouldn't even know that McGonagall had a husband. Yeah, but again, I think that's, you know, she's quietly heroic in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah, she doesn't make a big thing of it. And, you know, it was Dumbledore, you know, new parts of it. But otherwise, she was a very kind of closed book, really. Mm. And I think that you can, you can tell exactly why. And, you know, there was that level of trust between, between Dumbledore and McGonagall. I think those two were a great partnership. They, they were, and, you know, I think Dumbledore trusted her implicitly. You know, you look at the Order mm. of the Phoenix, as I say, he trusted her to look after the students. Um, in Deathly Hallows, she's you know, 
looks after the students, which is what Dumbledore would have wanted. Um, you know, I think they had a good, uh, a really good partnership. And, you know, again, they sometimes balanced each other out in terms of, you know, good cop, bad cop. Um, mm. But it was, uh, you know, they did so much for the for the students there. Yeah. Going back on to your point about uh, McGonagall and the Order of the Phoenix, again, what, uh, you know, we sort of touched on it last week uh, in the Mother's Day one was how quickly and, you know, just without any doubt, just ex- accepted his dream as being real. And she just believed him and took him straight to Dumbledore, who could, who could you know, help save her a life. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that she, you know, immediately believed that he needed to find something at Hogwarts. Yeah. You know, in, in the Deathly Hallows. And, you know, she could have wasted valuable time questioning him or, you know, asking him if he was sure or, you know, you know, not believing him. Um, but, you know, she, she absolutely trusted him and, you know, especially when he says that he was acting on Dumbledore's orders, you know, that kind mm. of trust that they had was, that her and Dumbledore had was, was really important. I know we'll do our quiz in a minute, but here's a quick little question for you. Go on. Who was mentioned more in Harry Potter Minerva, McGonagall, or Arthur Weasley? That's a great question. I am going to say McGonagall. You're wrong. Is it Arthur, really? Apparently, apparently, Arthur has ten more mentions than McGonagall. Really? See, that's. I was, I, I was surprised by that. Yeah, that that does surprise me. Yeah, seven hundred and eighty to seven hundred and seventy. But yeah, I, I just found that interesting because, uh, like you, I would have uh, thought it would have been uh, McGonagall. Yeah, well, there you go. That's, that's how undervalued she is. I mean, to be honest, purely, yeah, because of the fact that she appears in an entire extra book. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You would have thought that, you know, okay, the Philosopher's Stone is the shortest of, of the series. But you would still think that, you know, that would get... And she was quite heavily used in the Philosopher's Stone. I mean, she's one of the first characters we ever meet. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. No, that's, um, that's surprising. Mm. Okay, so that would conclude the debate, unless you've got anything else to add about McGonagall. No, I think just the uh, just the summaries. Fair enough, fair enough. And then we will obviously put this up on onto the Twitter uh, with a poll. Uh, and if you vote for Arthur, then Mark loses again. I would and, like to uh, win one. <laughs> uh, and ten points, another ten points go to Hufflepuff. And if you vote for McGonagall, then Mark might finally get some points for Gryffindor. Come on, Gryffindors out there. Help me out. Uh, and obviously, if you vote for others, then you're clearly a Slytherin or Ravenclaw, in which case uh, points will be taken from both both houses. Okay. Your time for Arthur starts now. Well, with Arthur, I think the fact is, is that he is such an underrated member of his own family. I mean, if you look at the amount he does both publicly and behind the scenes and the father figure that he is to, to Harry and all the Weasley children. Uh, he's just a very steady, dependable figure. I mean, I, I think he is incredibly, uh, I do think he's underappreciated and he just wants to know the function of a rubber duck. Okay. Which I don't think anyone can argue with. <laughs> Your time for Professor McGonagall starts now. 
Well, I think she's an incredibly undervalued character because she's so stoic, reliable, dependable throughout the entire series. Particularly, I'm going to point out in the fifth book where she looks out for the students and protects them against Umbridge. And in the seventh book where she spends the entire year trying to protect the students from the from the Carrows. I think that's that's hugely overlooked at, at great kind of personal cost to herself. Um, and I think it's a really quietly heroic act. Well done. Well done. Have a biscuit. <laughs> um, so, yes, we'll put that up onto Twitter and... You Hufflepuffs will ensure that Martin loses again. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice to have some some level of competition here because, you know, a bit one-sided, just saying. Don't worry, the Gryffindors will get behind me. So, yes, on to the quiz. Cool. I'm going to go first this week. Right. Question one for you. Professor McGonagall worked the Ministry of Magic. Uh-huh. For which department did she work in? Was it the regulation and control of magical creatures? Was it magical law enforcement? Was it international magical cooperation? Or is it transport? I am going to say law enforcement. Correct. One out of one. In Harry's first year at Hogwarts, what day does he have his transfiguration lesson? Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday? I'm going to say Tuesday. That is incorrect, unfortunately. It's Thursday. Uh, I narrowed it down to Tuesday or Thursday. In his third year transfiguration exam, what is one of the tasks that Harry has to do? Is it turning a teapot to a tortoise, hedgehog to a pincushion, dinner plate to a mushroom, or guinea fowl to guinea pig? The teapot into tortoise. Correct. Two out of three. Okay. Professor McGonagall's husband was killed by a form of plant. What plant was it? Was it a mandrake? No. Was it venomous tentacular? Was it devil's snare? Was it mimbalous mimbletonia? It was being venomous tentacular. It is indeed. Thank you. Three out of four. Okay, final question. In The Order of the Phoenix, McGonagall is hit by stunning spells when yeah. she goes to protect Hagrid. Yes. How many stunning spells was she hit with? Is it two, three, four, or five? going to say five. Unfortunately, it's four. I knew it was four or five. So three out of five, 15 okay. points. Not bad at all. Not bad at all, that. Okay, your turn. Okay, question one. When was Arthur Weasley born? The 6th of February 1950, the 30th of October 1950, the 22nd of February 1950, or the 22nd of August 1950? Uh, I'm going to go August 22nd. That is incorrect. The 6th of February. Who did Arthur Weasley and Percy Weasley take down at the Battle of Hogwarts? Is it Corbin Yaxley, Piasic Ness, Venier Greyback, Augustus Rookwood. Percy definitely went after Rookwood, but I'm not sure that's who they took down in the second part of the battle. Um, I'm going to say Yaxley. I'm afraid that's incorrect. The correct answer is Thickness. Which caretaker caught Arthur Weasley out of bed when he was at Hogwarts? Is it Hankerton Humble, Rancorous Carp, Apollyon Pringle, or Argus Filch? Uh, I'm going to go with 
Pringle. Correct. What village does the Weasley family live? Mould on the Wold, Upper Flagley, Ottery St Catchpole or Chipping Clodbury? Uh, it's Ottery St Catchpole. That is correct. Okay, last question. In the Chamber of Secrets, Arthur Weasley is fined for bewitching the Ford Anglia that Tarry and Ron fly to Hogwarts. How much is he fined? Is it 10 galleons, 20 galleons, 50 galleons, or 100 galleons? Oh, uh, I think that's, oh, I'm sure it's 50 galleons. That is correct. Well, three out of five, not bad, not bad, all level on that one. Yeah, on level, all level, that's uh, good stuff, good stuff. So that concludes another episode of Potagules. I thank you very, very much for listening. Don't forget to click subscribe and to follow us on all social media. We've got some great Harry Potter content coming up for you. Next time, we are going to be discussing the question of who would Lily be more likely to forgive for their treatment of Harry, Severus Snape or Petunia? That's a really good one. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because uh, uh, you say it's... Uh, it's a really great question. One. So, yeah, that should be a really good topic. Um, so if you're interested, please please subscribe. And we want you guys to drive the conversation. So hit us up on Twitter or email or Facebook to contribute any questions or ideas you have. Uh, but until next time, I have been Tim. He has been Martin. See you next time. And until then, Knox. Knox.